So I, I titled this message, um, Giving Up Our Liberty. Oh, it's up there. Awesome. Um, Galatians uh, 4, 21 through 5, 6 is kind of like the, the, the end of this. Paul's been making this argument for chapter and chapter and chapter, and he's talking about it in so many different ways. It's really hard to miss the idea that he's saying you can't go back to something that never could have gotten you to heaven in the, be- in the, in the first place. You can't go back to that after you get the one thing that can get you to heaven. Like it's, it's, it, make, it makes cheap grace, it makes what Jesus did of no effect because you're choosing to put a burden on you that you're not supposed to have. And so when we talk about in, in our country specifically, because liberty is a word that gets thrown around a lot. It's on your quarter, I think. I think, although there's a new bunch of quarters running around that feel like they're made of like that junk that's inside of like the the boxes that you put. I think we call them slugs. We used to try and put them in video games. Those uh, they just seem cheap and they have different stuff on them. But they used to say something I think in Latin and it would talk about liberty. And when you hear this phrase, when you hear giving up liberty or giving up your liberty, some people just immediately think freedom, and that's that's a good synonym. But nobody wants it. Nobody wants to have their, their freedom taken, their liberty taken. Nobody wants that. Yet many Christians settle for taking on a burden or a yoke that they cannot carry. They think that they can, and they think that they're bringing a whole lot to the table with, with the Lord. But what he's trying to get these very, very slow learning, a lot like us, these Galatians, is you guys cannot possibly carry what you think that you're carrying right now. And we're going to get into a lot of the specifics, but the Judaizers come into these churches. This, this letter was written to a group of churches in, in what we know as central Turkey uh, today. And they, they came in and they, they, they did two things. Not only did they mess with them because they know so much and they're so brilliant and they're so uh, versed in the law and they know the Mosaic law backwards and forwards, but what they, were, what they were also trying to do is get these new believers to, like, not, I'm not going to say just, like, worship them, but they didn't mind if they did. They didn't mind that they were like, well, you guys, we need you. You guys are the greatest thing ever, and you're teaching us this wonderful, wonderful stuff. And the Galatians are, are kind of selling out to it. And so Paul's saying so many things, but I want to just read a couple of things before we get into the text. The first one is, if we shoot back from verse 21 back to 16, a few verses before, he goes, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth about these guys? They zealously court you. We use that word in a synonym with dating. So they're like, they're into you guys, not romantically, but they want you to like them. They want you to love them. They want you to give your attention and your hearts to them. And they're taking your eye off the ball, which is Christ. So am I the enemy? You, you guys were so good to me when I came in and I was all jacked up. And I mean, verse 14, I, I, was, I was nasty and I, w- I had something, you know, we, we all think about this eye disease that he had. And you guys were so good to me, you would have given me your, your own eye. Am I now your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? And he says, it's good to be zealous in a good thing. These, these are not a good thing. These people are not a good thing. And I told you guys a few weeks back, whenever somebody's coming at you with something, take a step back and look for the motive with everybody, anybody, anything. When you get a phone call 
and you can hardly understand the person and they're trying to sell you a warranty, that is not a good motive. That is not gonna end up well and your car will not be covered, I promise you. When somebody comes to you and says, hey, just give me a little bit of your money, invest in this. Why? Why should I? Tell me why. Who are you to me? When these people come in and they take your entire church and they, they wrap it around something other than Christ, motive alert, something is off. When a good friend of yours that you've known for a long time, that's a, also a brother or sister in the Lord, comes to you and says, you know what? I've really been thinking that I need to do more of this, and I think that all Christians do, and I think that all Christians need to incorporate this devotional or this book or this whatever and put it up next to Jesus. Wrong motive. It's bad. It's a bad motive. Paul's motive was only one thing. I want to give you the gospel. Trust me, nobody is, nobody knows the Mosaic law better than me. Nobody's more Jewish than me. Nobody is more anything that they're telling you more than me. And I'm telling you right now, they don't have your good at heart. I'm telling you right now, they are messing with you. And it's good to be zealous in a good thing. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? That's, a, that's so harsh if you think about it. You desire to be underneath the law. Some are ignorant and they're like, what does that really mean? I don't really know. Under it? Well, like, I never even knew it because they're not necessarily from a Jewish background. Some of them, probably. He said, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a, a free woman. Some uh, translations say slave. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free which is the mother of us all. There's a lot in there, and I know it kind of gets into King James is a little bit, sometimes it's a little difficult um, with certain words. I want to just really quickly, if you guys would indulge me, I want to read the new living in that exact, in, in those, those verses specifically. He says, listen to me, you who want to live under the law. Do you know what the law really says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Human attempt, human effort. Now, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Hagar, the slave wife, represents Mount Sinai, where the people first became enslaved to the law. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery. But Sarah, the free woman, represents the heavenly Jerusalem, and she is our mother. That is what Isaiah meant when he prophesied, Rejoice, O childless woman, break forth into loud and joyful song, even though you never gave birth to a child. For the woman who could bear no children now has more than all the other women. There's a lot in that. We're going to unpack it quickly. But most people 
when you think about people maybe that are Christians or maybe used to be or maybe they're just around the church a little bit, when you think about people that start off pursuing something in the Christian world, if you will, it's, it's such a loose term now, uh, a Christian church. I mean, like when, when people start off truly in Christ and you know that it's real with the facts laid out, everything laid out like Paul is doing, most people are not going to go, you know what? I'd rather be under, under the law. I'd rather go into bondage. I'd rather make myself really, really, really sick with the things that I can't do for the Lord. Most people don't do that. But what is it about the human condition that makes us feel like we have to bring, it's like we have to bring a little bit of, of money to the table. You know, we have to bring something for God. God says um, through Paul here, Tell me, you people who desire to be under the law. Tell me, you who want to be underneath the law's burden. Do you have any idea what it says? Well, a lot of them didn't. A lot of them had no idea because sometimes when people come in and they, they give you these slick pitches of, oh, you need to go back and do the seders and the festivals and you have to, you know, you really should keep the Mosaic law. You know, it's in conjunction with Jesus and they say all these things to you. Most people are going to go, whoa, 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 hold on a second. And some with these brilliant teachers, these guys were smart. These guys were slick. Some people go, oh, that sounds really good because they play to your ego. You can do so much. Wouldn't you want to do Passover? Wouldn't you want to do the things that Jesus did when he was here? Well, yeah, it's cool to have a Seder. I know lots of churches that do them, but they don't say, well, it's a Seder and Jesus. That's how you get saved. I've never heard one say that. But our Jewish uh, brothers and sisters at Book of Life or uh, at uh, Bessar, uh, that used to be down the street, they would do it all the time. I talked to, some of them came here. They were, it was wonderful. They're like, it was just fun. It's just awesome. Teaches me a lot. Great. They're not saying it's salvation. But when someone desires to be over you, when someone says, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to listen to me. I want you, you are really messed up and you need somebody like me. Well, that's what like Tony Robbins and like life coaches do for you. And some of these, um, life coaches. There's a lot of life coaches on social media, guys. And a lot of them haven't done much with life yet. Have you noticed? I don't really want, no offense to young people, I don't really want a 24-year-old life coach that literally hasn't even, like, barely, barely failed out of U of A. Barely failed out. Like, he's been out five minutes. I don't really want to make my life decisions based on what he thinks I should do. But when someone desires to be over you, look at the motive. What's the motive? Where are they taking you? Because Paul's giving all of these amazing arguments and then telling them how it was. Would you guys remember when I was there? Not too long back, and now I'm the enemy? Why? What changed? Clearly something you guys are believing changed. So what is it? Oh, you want to be under the law. Um, the website Got Questions is, is a really cool uh, resource website. Um, one of them, uh, one of the uh, paragraphs was talking about this idea of uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And he goes, the story of Abraham uh, um, begins in Genesis 12. God called uh, Abraham and his wife out of where they were um, to, a, to a homeland that he would tell them, and he said it was for you and your offspring, which they had not had any kids. They tried, and in Jewish culture back in the day, you, kids, were, kids were everything. Like a, a woman that couldn't have a kid, it was almost a disgrace. 
Uh, a lot of commentators agree on that specific term too. It's pretty horrible. So God promises this when Abraham was 75. The kid was born when Abraham was 100. So when God goes, hey, I know you guys have been trying a long time. I know your wife's 65. I don't know about you guys, but I've never heard of a 65-year-old recently having a kid. But I'm not going to say somewhere that somebody's not claiming that that happened. But it's usually way, 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 way out of the purview for a 65-year-old. But lest anyone think it was possible, God made her wait until she was 90. Now, through that time, you know, you can condense their life into several chapters. Do you think they had questions? Do you think they struggled? They did struggle. They absolutely struggled because Ishmael was born. If you know the story, we don't have time to get into it. This was the, well, God's not really capable apparently, or maybe he forgot about us, or maybe, you know, whatever, whatever they thought. And so she has this slave girl, and their idea is, hey, why don't you just have a kid through her, and that kid will be the heir, and that'll just be our attempt to help God out, because he created this world and such, but he can't figure out how to, how to do this. So that's what they did. And if you know anything about how that relationship went down, between Sarah, the wife, and the slave girl that now has the kid, and she's much younger, probably a little cuter, just guessing, and she's starting to act like she's in charge, and the kid started to act like he was going to get everything, and God was still faithful. And so in, in verse 27, um, it, we go back to this uh, prophecy in Isaiah 54, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. This is a really cool um, kind of picture. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of pictures in this in Isaiah 54. I just want to read uh, what Donald Campbell says about this. This is such an awesome uh, quote. He says, the quotation from Isaiah 54 prophesied the changing fortunes of Israel, which Paul applied to Sarah's history. Israel before her Babylonian captivity was likened to a woman with a husband. The barren woman was Israel in captivity. The woman bearing more children may have pictured Israel restored to the land after exile, but more particularly, it portrays her millennial blessings, the future Israel that comes out, uh, is what he's saying. Paul applied this message um, in the context to Sarah, who thought previously barren, was later blessed with a child, and who would ultimately enjoy a greater progeny than Hagar, obviously. And ultimately, Hagar was sent out of that family because that would cause... I mean, think about it. It's like Jerry Springer 101, right? Well, so you had a kid with the 20-year-old, you old man? I mean, literally, how many times have, have, have these TV shows portrayed something like this? It's horrible, but once again, it's... One thing we can all agree on, it's super fleshly, right? It's superhuman. It's, it's like... This is what we do. We make a huge mess of families. That's what we're great at, at human beings, uh, as human beings. So there's a lot written these days about identity, about significance, about um, who somebody is, that I am this now. Um, I, in psychology, years back in the 90s, um, we would talk about, because you could talk about that stuff in public college in the mid-90s, but we talked about these people that... Um, said they were a chicken, you know, like this person says they're a chicken, this person says they're a dog, this person's whatever, and then the psychologist who was teaching the class, he goes, well, clearly they're mad, they're nuts, mm -hmm. 
Well, not anymore. No, no, you gotta like, you gotta placate it. You gotta be like, well, do you want a little chicken coop? I mean, what do you want? Like, seriously. But it's the identity issue that Satan goes after, right? With people. Because we used to, I mean, we've, we've, this was a majorly secular school. This was anything but. There was, I was maybe the only Christian person in the class of 35 kids. And my, my psych professor was as liberal and as progressive. And I mean, he was like, this was not something that would be said today, but he is somebody who would be teaching today. Um, if, if everything was, you know, from jump from 1996 to, to today. But there's a lot written about identity. And in verse 28, Paul says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. That's our identity. We are that. Like, he's not talking to people that, um, I mean, these are, these are likely Greeks. These are likely non-Jewish people, most of them. He is of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul is, as he would say, he, know, he knows his background. He knows where he comes from. He was... As, as up there as it gets in terms of the Mosaic law. He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And he said, guys, we're children of promise. doesn't matter where you come from. If you're in Christ, you're in it. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. If you know that story, you know that Isaac, uh, when, is, when, um, when Isaac had his, I don't know, we might call it a mitzvah nowadays, but when Isaac had that, uh, Hagar and, and uh, Ishmael were like mocking him. And to this day, you've got this great dilemma with Israel and non-Israel. Israel and uh, the Arab nations, plural, the many, many, many nations that are around Israel. The fact that, they're even, that they even exist is miraculous, if you know the last 75 years of their history and the wars. Um, we had missiles shot at our plane from Gaza four, three years ago, four years ago in two months, while we were taking off, and they kind of acted like, well, it's all the time. I'm like, what? Like, are we going to get out of here? They're like, it happens all the time. It'll be shot down by the, by the dome or whatever that thing is. They act like it's nothing. They're like, we're always at war. Um, so this has been going on since this, since Isaac and Ishmael. It's never really not, there's always been a conflict. And so what he's saying is, look, the, the flesh is always going to persecute the spirit. The enemy's always going to come after you. That's not new. This, I mean, it, it was an attack in the garden. God established a family. He established a woman and a man, and he basically married them himself, if there was such an efficient role. And what did Satan come in? He came in and doubted the creator. He came in and threw, like, doubts, like, uh, I think he's holding out on you. You know, maybe you should just try that. I mean, what, what's the worst that could happen? You, t- you try an apple, come on. You're going to be just like him. And that was, ironically, what Satan believed. When he was in heaven, like, ooh, I could be like him too. Maybe I'll hold on to some of this praise. And out he went. And he's been trying to mess with those in the circumcision, those in the spirit now. I mean, Israel and those governed by God and those in the spirit have been fought with by by the enemy since the first time it was possible. He says, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Obviously, that's never going to, when you see a a movie, um, like the movie Gladiator or something, or when you see these, like, people that were sold to fight and stuff, those people have no rights. Like, that movie was crazy because Russell Crowe, who's sold into this, becomes this big deal, 
and you can you can kind of turn the crowd, if you will, if you're a good football player or gladiator or whatever, whatever the rough things that people love to watch, you can kind of turn it. But without that, you have no you have nothing. You're never going to be on par with Caesar. You're not going to ever be able to, to talk to Caesar. But in that moment, in that movie, that was so crazy that this, as they say, this slave became as the Caesar the young kid, his sister goes, I never saw this happen, but the slave became like on par that day. Um, but it happened in this gladiator type of moment. You shouldn't watch that movie, by the way. Um, it's a little, it's a tiny bit gore, just a smidge. Um, so uh, verse 31, so then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And so once again, to go back to it, do you really want to be locked down with the law? Do you really want to be underneath the law? Do you really want to? Because what you don't understand is what you're asking for is all of it. Not just the ones you want to do, not just that, well, you know, we're going to bring a little, you know, of the law to Jesus and we need this. And Jesus is like, I fulfilled it. I dealt with it and I paid for all sin. So stay in grace is what he's trying to tell these guys. So um, to this next portion, which is um, chapter 5, 1 through 6, it's about Christian liberty. It's about freedom. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I called this, this little sub, I, I like to title them for myself, um, this sub-message is, you're free if you can stay that way. If you can stay that way. Because we find ourselves in quicksand and stuck, and we find ourselves just like the prodigal a lot. We find ourselves drifting a lot. Sometimes we don't even know we are. He says, stand fast in liberty. Well, why in the world would somebody tell me to try to stay free? Because it's hard to. It's hard to stay that way. It's hard to just proclaim the goodness of God even in the Christian religious world, if you will, and just leave it alone right there because somebody always wants to set up a contrast between you and them and, well, have you been doing this? Have you been giving food to the homeless? And have you been doing what we've been doing? We've been memorizing the Paulian letters like a little bit at a time and now we can write them if the scriptures were ever taken from us. And we just kind of think that you should too because you're not really that great. Oh, well... Uh, you're probably right. I couldn't do that on a bet. Um, and what about people that cannot read? Are they, they have no hope then, I guess, of, of coming into your purview or your world? It is, it is so difficult to just stay on task and wait. Wait on God. Wait for God. So he says, stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Not the, a there's a million. There's a million things you can get yoked down, you can get burdened down with. He says, I, indeed, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Meaning, if that's if you're going to enter into that circumcision, if you're going to enter into that Mosaic law, Christ is, what effect will he have if that's where your, if that's where your standard is, if that's where you think you need to be? And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is, he is a debtor to keep the whole law. James 2.10. If you keep every single thing in the Bible, 
except for one. You're the same as somebody who's broken the law like it's their job. Just That's just the way it is. That's what, that's what the scriptures say. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Terrifying. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. How? By waiting on Christ. By waiting for his Spirit to continue to work through sanctification, through working out what he wants in us, through waiting on him and not going, well, I got to jump the gun here. It's been 25 years and God said he was going to do something great. So I got to go do something crazy and stupid to make it happen. Nope. We've tried that. Abraham and 50 other guys in the Old Testament have tried things like that. Lastly, for in Christ, Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So what's, what's, what's really a Christian to do? To believe, to put their hope and trust in what God said, and to love. And love means a million different things. It doesn't mean that you just get walked over all day long. It doesn't mean that you can never, ever, ever, ever do anything you ever want and that God's just going to keep you enslaved. It's like, well, I can be enslaved over here, enslaved by not what... Uh, there's a lot of people that try and put that type of a trip on, on that if you ever slip from, from full surrender or as if there's, it's even possible for a Christian to 100% be surrendered for the rest of their life. I do not believe that, and I believe Paul would tell you straight up from Romans, you know, middle, middle of Romans through the middle end of Romans that he is a chief of sinners, that Paul was, to me, as good as it ever got, and Paul struggled a ton. You will struggle. Um, so, number one, stand fast in liberty. But Paul is telling us, as well as this group of people, that you can't pick and choose which pieces of the law you're going to be like, well, we're, we're going to have Jesus and we're going to go do these 15 things that we like and we're going to start a church. And that church is going to be all about that because that's why denominations largely existed back in the day. Um, now they're kind of dying a lot. But if you go to a traditional Baptist church, you kind of know what you're going to get. Methodist church, you kind of know what you're going to get. Church of Christ, you kind of know what you're going to get. But where is the, where's, the, where's the commonality, hopefully, it's just in preference with these types of places. Hopefully it's just in, well, we don't really like, you know, the pipe organs and stuff, so we're going to do a little bit more modern thing. You know, sorry, we're, you know, sell the pipe organ. Um, yeah, I went through that, that era with people, and there was, that was a huge fight. It was almost a, a point of, well, we're going to leave the church if you guys get rid of that pipe organ. Okay. Then go be organists or whatever that denomination is now. I don't know. Um, Paul... Is, is trying to underscore this. Grace is something that is not cheap. You're making it cheap, you guys. You're making cheap grace. Steve Camp, the pastor, evangelist, former musician, uh, once had a song called Cheap Grace, probably one of his more rockier tunes for a guy that wasn't so rocky. Um, uh, but a great tune. But cheap grace. Because you guys are, you guys are taking something that Jesus did and you're, you're kind of like, throwing it in the background. You're, you're backburnering it. And you're, you're attempting to say that you actually have the ability to somehow justify yourself. That's what you're saying. And so 
It's not something that came easily, and it's definitely not something that as a Christian you ever want to drift from grace, ever. Stand fast, he says. Life is difficult. You and I must be patient. It is something that we eagerly look forward to as we struggle through, as we grow, as there's growing pains. We wait on the Spirit of God, and God reminds us through some of our issues, some of our drifting, hey, you're not there yet. Like, check the ego. Like, if Christians just check the ego, there'd be a lot less denominations. I'll just say that. If we would just check the ego. If Christ was center, supreme, and the most important thing, truly, truly was, we would have a lot less sectarianism, these sections we are all into. And it would be good. But we go back once again to Abraham and Sarah. They're the poster child for this. God made them a promise. He didn't be like, it's got a 25-year life, you know, thing on it. So if it doesn't happen in 25 years, it's not going to happen. Well, he didn't say that. He said, no, you're going to go to this place. Your descendants are going to be this, and you are going to have a kid. He didn't say maybe, it's possible, probable, 80% chance. He didn't say that. But they got tired of waiting, as a lot of Christians do. And they took the bull by the horns, and they did it their own way, and they made a huge mess. God made them a promise. God makes you and I a promise. He is going to finish the good work he started in our hearts. We have to stay. We have to stay in the faith. We have to stand fast in liberty, and we have to trust him and him alone. Um, Just a concluding kind of thought. We live in a cursed world. We live in a world where evil is now called good. That was not the case when I was a kid necessarily. It is that way now. Evil is called good and good according to God. What God says is good is now called evil or is at least fought against. Most people that I have met in my life want to be free. They like freedom. They want to be free people. They don't want to be in bondage. They don't want to be slaves. But there are many warnings for the Christian to stay free, not just in this letter. Stay free and stay in grace. Be gracious to people because you had quite a debt that Jesus had to write off. Jesus had to go pay it. We do not know where this world's going to take us, but we do know that the enemy wants everyone enslaved to sin. He wants, that is one thing Satan for sure wants. He wants all humanity to be enslaved into sin because he is a slave to sin and he never will not be. He will always be that way. And so misery loves company. Therefore, it's rare to hear the gospel preached purely and in its entirely with no angle. It's very rare now that you will hear that. It's, it's just not the norm. He certainly does not want people walking around in Christian liberty. He certainly does not want people free. He certainly wants us to be walking around indebted to something other than Christ. But freedom is a difficult thing to keep. Um, Sort of uh, a little story. Some of you guys know this. Um, in the summer of 1787, a crowd, a crowd gathered around Independence Hall to learn what type of government their representatives had formed for them in this new nation. When Benjamin Franklin walked out of the Constitutional Convention, Mrs. Powell could wait no longer. Franklin, Franklin was one of the best-known framers working on the new U.S. Constitution. She walked up to Franklin and asked, Well, Dr., What have we got? A republic or a monarchy? And Franklin turned to her and said what are perhaps the most chilling words uttered by a framer. He said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. 
The same thing is said in this letter. A lot of people know that. A lot of people that are freedom fighters and freedom lovers and all that stuff, they know this story. A lot of people know the story. It's on like 80 different websites when I was Googling. I knew who said it, but I wanted to know the context around it. But the same thing is said in this letter. The same thing is said in many of these letters. Stand fast and stay free in Christ if you can. Because the enemy would love to take that freedom from you. He would love to at least occupy your mind and make your mind go after all the other things that he has to offer you to derail you, to mess with you. But stand fast and stay free in Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for um, just the the clear message that comes through um, when we lift up your word, when we put your word out there and we um, put it above our hearts and our minds. And uh, God, we struggle in many ways. um, But I do pray, Lord, that we would um, be patient, um, that we would allow your spirit to uh, work, that we would yield to your spirit, And God, that uh, obedience would be um, how we are described. Um, God, that's a difficult thing. It's easier said than done to just obey. But God, we do know that your spirit is working. We know that your spirit is alive and active. And we know that your word is alive and active in in these dark days that we live in. I pray, Lord, for those that are really struggling right now. I pray for those that are uh, maybe away from you, maybe drifting. God, that they would just like the prodigal, that they would just come back to their dad. And uh, God, we love you and we thank you. We just thank you for uh, the freedom to be able to do this still and uh, to lift up your name and sing to you in Jesus' name. Amen.